This podcast is meant for general health information and is not meant to override any medical advice. All questions will be screened and not contain any personal information. If you want a private consultation, contact us via positivechoice.org or you can contact your provider directly. Thank you and enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Positive Choice Wellness Podcast. My name is Annalise. I'm an exercise physiologist and nutritionist. And my name's Melanie. I'm also an exercise physiologist and nutritionist. And we have a very special guest with us today. Welcome, Renee. Hi, I'm glad to be here. Oh, we're so happy to have you. And Renee Carroll is an employee assistance consultant here at Kaiser with us. Mm -hmm. She's been with Kaiser for... 30 years, and you are a nurse and an LCSW. Yes, yes. I've been with the Employee Assistance Program for actually um, eight years now. That is fantastic. And I also see you have some specialties in mood and anxiety disorders, eating disorders, and chemical dependency. Yeah, that's frequently what we see with the Employee Assistance Program. So it's nice to have a broad range of experience because employees present with all the normal disturbances and challenges that we all face in life. So... It's a nice background. Absolutely. And Renee is the one that has been here for us, like when we go through tough times, like the pandemic or Mm -hmm. if something happens and we need some kind of, you know, emotional assistance, emotional guidance. Yes, yes. And one of the things that I like best about my position and also my opportunity to be here today is that we are not necessarily a psychologically sophisticated society. And we have a culture. It's a wonderful culture. I mean, I'm I'm glad that I live in the United States. But we have a culture that really celebrates independence, individuality, and not necessarily asking for help or being vulnerable. And that is not necessarily psychologically um, sophisticated or does, nor does it really support the way we actually work. We're wired for to be social animals, which means that we're wired to connect with people and we're wired to find that connection when we feel vulnerable. And we not only feel better when we provide support when we're Um, helping someone that is vulnerable, but we also get better faster when others support us in our vulnerability. And our society doesn't teach us how to do that. It teaches us how to eat or brush our teeth or, you know, talks about lifestyle that makes us healthy, but we don't talk a lot about how to take care of ourselves and each other from a psychological point of view. And Every opportunity that I have to talk about that, I, I like to bring it up and make sure that people have those skills or at least the awareness. Oh, while you were saying that, I was just thinking about my own tendency to not want to be vulnerable and, and pull back. I don't ask for help. <laughs> yeah, well, both of you, I love that you both said that because that's the tendency that we're raised with. We are raised in a culture that says, if you're vulnerable, that means you're some, there's something wrong with you, or don't let anyone see it or hide it, be tough. And that's more of a military point of view. Um, and it doesn't really hold up under research. Research shows that the more we can be vulnerable, the more that we can be aware of however we're feeling without judgment, without um, feeling that it's wrong. 
being tolerant of ourselves, like buckets of compassion for ourselves. When we're able to just accept our vulnerabilities, our challenges, plus our strengths, we are much more likely to be more tolerant and less judgmental of others. Mm. And the more tolerant and less judgmental of others we are, the more that it gives them permission to feel connected. And again, always going back to how we're wired, neuroscience really informs our field right now. Back in the old days, therapy and psychology was informed by Freud. And we know today that Freud was just a very interesting elegant fantasy. It's really not true. It's not based on science. Today, what we do is based on neuroscience. And we know that we're wired for connection. And connection means that we feel safe. We feel a part of the tribe. So if our culture teaches us that we're vulnerable, we'd better isolate, we better pull away, that's leaving the tribe. And in when we're isolated, we then feel like uh-oh, we're not safe. I have to act a certain way to get into the tribe, which means I have to act inauthentically to go back and be part of things. And that starts a cycle which keeps us less resilient. It keeps us being less strong. It takes us away from ourselves and others that could help. It keeps us from being self-aware. And our society celebrates that a little bit. Uh, it's not unlike our society seems to think that extroverts are better than introverts. And essentially, just to define that, an extrovert is someone who gets energized by being around other people. They get, they get more energy when they're around people. Introverts really like people. Doesn't mean they're shy. They really enjoy people. But they restore themselves by being by themselves. And you don't want too much of either. But our society sometimes thinks, oh, introverts are shy or introverts are isolated and extroverts they like to be the center of attention that's what we want and that's it's not a balanced view of life and if we over celebrate being part of the sunny loud crowd and we diminish being introverted or maybe a little bit on the more quiet side then that's to the extent we're diminishing how people really are we're saying one thing is okay, the other thing isn't. And as soon as we start judging or labeling that one thing is okay and the other one isn't, it it makes people feel as if I can't be who I really am. You know, I, I find it so fascinating you bring up the whole introvert-extrovert thing because, like, Annalise and I have had many conversations about it because, like, I would classify myself more as an extrovert than not. I know she classifies herself more as an introvert than not, but... I almost feel like it's a bit of a spectrum, right? So we have these like black and white views of extroverted or introverted, but in reality, it's more of a spectrum. You fall on a spectrum of extroversion or introversion, correct? You're totally right. And also in that spectrum, it's like you might be extroverted with people you feel comfortable with, or you might be introverted in a crowd. My son, for example, is completely introverted, and yet he is a stand-up comic. And when he's out there being a stand-up comic, I think, who are you and what have you done with my son? <laughs> he gets up on stage and he's like extroverted and out there. When he's, by him, when he's off the stage, he's shy, he's retiring, he gets unconscious, he gets like really nervous. So it just depends, you know? Some people are really extroverted and they feel comfortable on stage, but they're shy with their inner circle. Some people are absolutely comfortable with the inner circle and seem extroverted, but you get them out there in a crowd and they're introverted. So it's, it's, different, 
It's with different people. It's in different situations. And you're right. It's not black and white. Everything is always more complex than duality or either or, for sure. Especially when it comes to us humans. I think that kind of runs the gamut that mm-hmm. when we try and put ourselves into boxes, mm-hmm. that becomes problematic because it doesn't honor the fact that we could be in 20 different boxes depending on the circumstances. It's so true. Like when I first met you, Melanie, you seem so bubbly. Most people would say, oh, she's definitely an extrovert. Bubbly, happy people are extroverts. Not necessarily true. You're bubbly and happy, but not necessarily in all situations. People are multifaceted. So I like to think of people as diamonds. You know, there's multifacets, many, many sides to us. And one of the secrets to really living a happy life is to honor all of them. You know, warts and all. You want to accept everything. And the more we don't accept or the more we judge, the more we close it off and it becomes like a shadow part that we don't accept. And we there's depending on how much of ourselves we won't see or we don't accept, that's where it will start bubbling up. Like you two are probably too young to remember this, but years ago there was a something called Mad Magazine, and there's a little section mag- magazine that says the shadow knows. So a person would say, "Oh, hi, thank you very much," but the shadow would say, "I don't want to be here." <laughs> well, so the shadow part will bubble up. Anything we're hiding, we may think we're hiding it, but it'll come out some way. <laughs> so basically, the things that we try to repress to fit into the tribe. we're not hiding it very well well think about it think about it yeah exactly right I mean think about how many times you may have you know a family member or a friend who presents one thing and everybody kind of laughs because they know it's not true right Uh, I'm trying to think of something Um, I have a sister who says she is a vegan Okay, she says she's a vegan, but every single time I'm with her, she has ice cream. <laughs> Just saying, you know, I'm not, I, I think that she feels really good about the idea of being a vegan and she really wants to be a vegan and she aspires to be a vegan, but she's not really there, but she denies it, but yet she eats the ice cream. And that's sort of a blatant one, but, um, it's just like if you want, if you're, tr- if you're, if you decide, if you don't have your full flow of feelings, if you're not feeling all your feelings, if you're angry at someone and you make a decision, oh, I'm just going to be nice to them, it's probably going to come out in a passive aggressive or sarcastic way. Mm. Okay, mm-hmm. I'll talk a little bit about that when I talk about accepting all your feelings, for example. So what's interesting about that to me is. Over the past few years, I have realized that I have a hard time identifying my own wants, my own needs, let alone the next step of like how to express that to another person. And so your point about that awareness and that acceptance, those kind of go hand in hand, right? Because if I am not accepting of a part of myself, my awareness might come down too. Absolutely. I mean, yes, yes, yes. Just the fact that you're saying this means you're more aware than 90% of the population. (laughs) Believe me, believe me. (laughs) I mean, join the human race. We're all in this together. Okay. And so the idea is, um, the reason I like the three A's, it's just kind of a way to think about showing up. 
or if you have a problem. So the three A's is first um, awareness, and then acceptance, and then action. We live in a society where we sort of jump over awareness and acceptance and go straight to action. Okay, mm. so we want to know. Yeah, do it now. Do it now. <laughs> and um, or something happens and we kind of go into fight or flight. I got to do it right now. And so we're reacting and work usually rewards that the military rewards that sports rewards that just keep, you know, fight through your injury. Just answer, you know, think on your feet. Boom, boom, boom. But if we can slow down and take a deep breath, both physiologically and psychologically, slowing down helps us to be more cognitively clear. We are aware of what's really going on. Both Scott and Chris last time talked about your backgrounds determine how we see something, our life experiences determine how we see something, how we are physiologically and neurologically wired determines how we see things. So everyone might respond to a, a circumstance in a certain way, but unless we all take a collective breath, slow down, and really have awareness without our automatic distortions, our automatic physiological fight and flight response, we're probably gonna get it wrong. So the idea is to slow down, be aware of what a situation is, and then accept it. Very often, if we don't accept, we live in a society where we'll say, we will be happy when we lose 10 pounds. I'll be happy when I am married. I'll be happy when I get divorced. I'll be happy when I have a child. I'll be happy to when my child leaves. We always live like, I'll be happy when. Acceptance is about being in life right now exactly how it is. Mm. Exactly how it is right now. The weight you're at, the age you're at, the people in your life, the situations in your life, it is about accepting life on life's terms. So if you're aware and you're accepting, then you can think about action. There's a good saying that says, if you have one hour to solve a difficult problem, spend 55 minutes being aware and accepting it. Interesting. And then that will form your action. Because action too fast will usually end up in regret or repercussions or consequences. Actions too slow where you just shut down typically makes you a passive victim. So to take the road, the right action for you and typically the people around you would be slow down, be aware, take a deep breath, accept, and then go to action. And what I wanted to talk about, how do you become aware? How do you find acceptance? And there's something that I like to call a flow of feelings. Because we are a society that isn't always comfortable with our feelings, it's good to go through a flow of feelings. So if a problem comes up, stop, go through your feelings, be aware of your feelings. And with that clarity, that clarity will inform your action, okay? And what I mean by a flow of feelings, sometimes I have my patients actually journal them, or sometimes we talk it through, but everybody would would probably do well in understanding themselves more if something comes up that's problematic or feels traumatic or they're upset about something to go through a flow of feelings. And the way a flow of feelings works 
is you start with anger. Anger, especially for women, is a difficult emotion. So if you can, so you want to come up with some situation, like any, name any situation that might be traumatic or upsetting or, or just anything. It doesn't have to be yours or it could be yours. Just come up with any situation. It could be a death. It could be, it could be the pandemic, anything at all. Could it be something small? Yeah. Okay. I have asked my husband to take the trash out five times. He said he would do it the first time. And now I feel like I'm nagging and um, I don't know what to do. Beautiful. Love it. <laughs> Love it. I do a lot of couples counseling. Oh, beautiful. So let me say right. I'm not married though, but oh. I was. Okay, but so good. I, okay, so you know. I might know. Yeah. Yes. Yes, you do. Okay. So here's the thing. I tell both married couples and parents of children, if you're saying it more than once, you're making a mistake, okay? Anytime you are telling someone to take out the garbage multiple times or brush your teeth multiple times or do this multiple times, if you're saying it more than once, there's a breakdown. We are losing our power if we say something once someone doesn't listen and then we keep saying it again, okay? It means we're not accepting the reality. You said take out the garbage, he's not doing it. The reality is he's not doing it. So rather than saying it again and saying it again, the more we stay in our place, take out the garbage, usually that makes the other person be more entrenched in their, okay, I'm not taking out the garbage. <laughs> That's just how human beings are. We don't like being told what to do. No, we you don't. Just, you just blew my mind with this. Just that thing about like, if you have said something more than once, you are not accepting the reality of the situation. That's right. That's right. Mind That's blown. Right. right? Most people feel that way. That's why we're really nice. We think, well, maybe they didn't hear me. Or maybe if I say it this way, or maybe if I say it nicer, oh, he just forgot. Or okay. And then you're saying it 10 times. So and they're getting for the trash. trash. <laughs> So here, so, so I'm here. the married one here. I'm yeah. curious what's going to happen next. All righty. All righty. So first of all, you need to accept, gee, he's not taking out the trash, okay? One thing, I'm going to answer it in two ways. One, one thing to think about is that all people have like an inner child inside of us, like a five-year-old. All of us have a teenager, and all of us have an adult. We just all do. And everybody's inner child is different, but... If we, if you feel sad because your husband isn't taking it out, that's your inner child. It's like, gee, he's not listening to me. Doesn't he think I'm important? He's ignoring me. I feel abandoned. That's an inner child. If you feel pissed off, like, oh, you, why aren't you taking out the garbage? That's your teenager. Teenagers are angry. Teenagers are belligerent. <laughs> Teenagers are like, no way, you know? Hey, get it together, jerk. And the adult says, Oh, honey, I'm sorry that you feel ignored. Don't worry. Let, let me take care of it. I'm the adult here. Or you say to the teenager, yeah, I see why you're pissed, but, you know, don't think that's a great idea to say right now. Let me handle this. <laughs> okay? So you want to kind of know, am I pissed off or do I feel really bad about it? Okay? Knowing your feelings, if you feel bad, you might say to your husband, you know, sweetheart, I just asked you to check out the garbage, and I noticed you didn't. And I, I noticed I feel kind of sad about that. Um, what's going on with you? And then your spouse will say, oh, I didn't mean to make you feel sad. Let me take it out. Or he might say, 
I don't want to take out the garbage. I don't know why you always ask me, how did it fall to me? What is that my job? Like, who knows? You're going to find out some useful information by his answer. But then he knows how you feel, and he is no longer put in the position of bad guy. He's just like, oh, I didn't know that made you feel bad. So he has a choice then. Like, well, gee, why did that make you feel bad? Or I don't want to make you feel bad. That inspires me to do it. Or, gee, why? whatever comes up next, at least you're in dialogue. Because as long as you're not in dialogue and you just are repeating it, you're not connecting. He's entrenched. You're entrenched. So let's say it makes you feel pissed off. You could say, you know, sweetheart, when you didn't take out the garbage when I asked you, I noticed I kind of gets pissed off. I feel like you're ignoring me. What's going on for you? And he can say, oh, really? I didn't mean to ignore you. I just, you know, it's a job that I just hate. I don't know if I told you this, but I, I, I just feel like I get grossed up by taking out the garbage and I don't want to do it. But I, I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you that. But no, I don't mean to piss you off. Or whatever it is. You want to have dialogue because the more you understand your feelings and state your feelings, it gives the other person permission. Because there's always something to why aren't they taking it out. Oh, I feel like I'm the laborer around here. I feel like, oh, that's just a man's job. And I, why should I have to do that? You don't, you know, you say you're a feminist or whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever. Who knows, right? But for sure, if you're saying it more than once, you're giving away your power. It's no longer a dialogue. You aren't honoring your feelings. You're not honoring his feelings. And it's always better to stop and feel your feelings, okay? So... I'll take you through what a typical flow of feelings is. And I encourage people to journal it in this, um, in this way. After you've journaled it, or you can do it with a therapist or whatever, you can talk about it with a friend. But this is typically the order in which people feel feelings. There's a flow of feelings because feelings are like peeling an onion. When you feel one pe feeling, there's another feeling under it, and it typically goes in a typical flow. So... The first feeling is anger. God damn it, why didn't you take out the garbage? Okay. <laughs> um, any other anger about, not take, about him not taking out the garbage? I feel angry that. Any, any other anger you could say? About I the garbage or in general? <laughs> let's keep it to about the garbage right now. <laughs> we could really get going with anger about general, but let's say it's the garbage. I feel angry that what about the garbage? Angry that it's my responsibility to make sure that the garbage is taken out. On top of all the other things that I have to do around the house. Yes. Good. Good. <laughs> I feel angry that everything's falling to me. I feel like I'd like you to take over this one part. Okay? Underneath anger is sadness. I feel sad that you don't take out the garbage because I feel like you don't appreciate all the stuff I do do. Or... I feel sad that you don't take out the garbage because I feel like I do all of these things for you and it's one of the few things that would really be important for me if you would do that. Or I feel sad that. Any other sadness about him not taking out the garbage? What came up for me is I would feel sad that I felt alone yes. in the relationship and the yes. responsibilities. Yes, and that's the inner child and that's intimacy. The whole reason to be in intimate relationships is to feel safe enough to honor that little child and that teenager. You don't want to be an adult all the time. That's why close relationships call each other baby or cutie pie or talking little voices because it's like you feel is close that why we enough. Do that? Yeah, it's like you feel close <laughs> enough to be your inner child. 
and your inner child wants to get excited for parties, and your inner child wants to not be ignored, and your inner child wants to not feel alone, and your inner child wants to be a princess or you know have a cape or whatever. So that's one of the reasons why intimate people will talk in baby talk, or they'll be cuddly and stuff where other people think, oh, brother, because they're not in that love state. But intimacy brings in the capacity, the connection, to feel close in all of your different stages, okay? And we trust that they won't mock us or make fun of us or embarrass us. And when they do, that's the demise of, a rela of an intimate relationship, typically. So the sadness is, you know, I kind of feel alone when you don't take out the garbage, okay? So anger, sadness. Under sadness is typically fear. I fear that, I worry that, I'm scared that. So I'm kind of scared that if you don't take out the garbage, that everything's going to feel disorganized, that one thing will lead to another, and everything will be messy and awful. I'm kind of scared that that will remind me of the house I grew up in. I'm kind of scared that if the garbage isn't taken out, that the whole place will feel wrong. I'm scared that I worry that about the garbage. Anything come up? I just have to think deep on this one because I have to like phrase it in something else that irritates me. Uh, uh -huh. <laughs> in my head, I'm like, okay, what is the thing that bothers me in general? Because garbage is not an issue here. Come but, up with something else then. Well, <laughs> I guess like, I'll, I'll keep with the analogy of the garbage that's been talked about the whole time, but I guess like, I, I, I worry that, you know, it's, it's less about sadness there, but I worry that the rest of the responsibilities are going to end up falling on me. And that's always something I'm going to have to continue to do because I feel like I do so much and I just don't worry here. And I don't want to have to worry that I'm going to have to do this and that and this and that. And I just want to offload responsibilities. I love that. And that often is underneath why a person nags. And yet it's, a, it's the thing that will make sure that everything falls to them. Mm. A person that nags is already taking care of too much. A person that nags is already not being heard. A person that nags is not only taking care of their stuff, but the other person's stuff too. So they're going to keep repeating it. And the other person is like, they're so competent, let them do it. Or, oh, she must like it. She worries about these things. I don't care. Why should I do it? She's the one that cares. All of this stuff starts. So it's really important to know your worry. If you're worried that you're doing too much, then you need to learn a phrase. And I like all women to learn this phrase because... Women do too much. <laughs> I think it's really, really important for all women with their men or whatever, but you know, not to bash men here. I love them and all, but I have a son. I have a husband. They're all wonderful. I love Scott and Chris, but women need to say, not my circus, not my clowns. We are not responsible for everything, okay? We are raised to be caregivers. We are raised to be highly attuned to their feelings. We are raised to take care of things and make it all nice, and it becomes automatic. And guys are raised with more status. Guys are raised with more status than women. And guys tend to feel, not my problem, somebody else will do it. And this is an overgeneralization, but if, when you get into intimate relationships that have to do with nagging or I'm doing it all, it means you're taking on too much responsibility. Back off, think about where do I stop, where do they start, what's mine, what's his, maybe we should discuss resource allocation. In the house, what's mine, what's yours, what feels fair to you, what feels fair to me. 
if he takes on the stuff he likes and I take on the stuff I like, what's left over? Okay, if this much is left over and we both hate it, maybe we should get a maid. Maybe we should, you know, whatever. But you have to have a conversation because otherwise it'll default to the person who has more responsibility, who, who takes on more responsibility. And women tend to take on more responsibility. So you want to, like, things that are making you angry, sad, or fearful gives you a clue. It's part of that 55 minutes of the problem solving. What's going on? I need to see where do I start and stop? Where does he start and stop? How do I feel about this? If I'm afraid I'm going to take on too much, it's a sign that I'm taking on too much. And then you have a dialogue. You talk, you know, I feel or I fear that I'm taking on so much. What do you feel about what you're doing and how I'm contributing? This is how I feel. And then you talk from there, okay? Under fears and worries is typically guilt. And I don't want to, I don't want to necessarily validate guilt. Guilt and shame are two different things. Guilt is when you're basically a nice person, you've made a mistake, you feel guilty, okay? So we all do that. We all make mistakes. We're all well-intended. We all make mistakes. When we're aware that we've made a mistake, we say we're sorry, we cut through it, we flow through it, it's over. Sometimes we have guilt about things that we shouldn't have guilt about. Part of the flow of feelings will teach you that. If you're fearing all this stuff, like I'm taking it too much, if you're nagging and saying things over and over again, those are red flags that you're, you're not saying no, you don't, you're giving away your power, you're taking on too much. Therefore, your guilt is not appropriate, okay? Your guilt is, your, it's not your circus, it's not your clowns, but you're acting as if it is. <laughs> now, shame is when we don't think we're a good person, and we don't feel bad at what we did, but essentially we feel like there's something defective in us. Like we walk around feeling like I'm not a good person and everyone's going to find out. Uh, it's a little bit, it's on the same continuum of that idea that uh, the imposter syndrome, you know, like if I get into that school, I didn't really deserve it, people are going to find out, or oh, I won that award, but people are, are going to find out I'm really not worth it. The idea of shame is you feel like there's something wrong with you. People who feel like there's something wrong with them, typically, even if their parents loved them till the cows came home, their parents did not love them in a way that made them feel valuable. Maybe the mother was an adult child of an alcoholic. Maybe the father was an alcoholic. Maybe the father was gone all the time. Maybe one, their older sibling was sick and they got all the attention and the, and the little one felt like there wasn't enough left over. Whatever the reason, when we often feeling shame has to do with childhood trauma. And we don't feel like we deserve good things. And if you're feeling a lot of guilt, it's worth looking. Is it shame or is it guilt? If it's guilt, I can get rid of it by saying, I'm sorry. What did I do wrong? Let's make amends. If it doesn't go away and there's a pervasive feeling, then that's shame. And that's a distortion that needs to be healed. Okay? And going through a flow of feelings begins to make you aware of these things. Awareness, and then acceptance, and then action. If you find out you're, shame, you're, you're shamed about something, that's, you accept it, and you go to therapy, or you join a group, or, or whatever. And then once you go through those emotions, anger, sadness, 
fear, and then guilt, you then want to walk over to the positive emotions because we always want to be balanced. And the positive emotions, and we're going to stick with the garbage again, is grateful. What am I grateful for? What am I grateful for that he doesn't take out the garbage? Or what am I grateful for, even though he doesn't take out the garbage, gee, he's this great guy. He keeps me laughing. He cleans my car. He fills it with gas. He brings me home cupcakes. Ah, it's OK. He doesn't take out the garbage, right? <laughs> Right? Yes. So sometimes gratitude will help remind you to put it in perspective. You know, he's terrific, doesn't take out the garbage, but I can live with it. After gratitude, then you go to happiness. This plays off a little with Chris and Scott talking too. Like, in order to be resilient, in order to deal with whatever's irritating us, we have to be happy every day. And so you always want to identify what's three to five things that make you happy. It doesn't have to be big deals. Uh, it can, you can be happy because we live in San Diego and it's great weather. I'm happy because I can take a shower even though I live in a desert. I can feel happy when I'm around women that smile and laugh. I'm happy today because I can exercise. I'm happy today because I enjoy eating food. You want to think and be aware of what makes you happy and then do it. And it's got to be done on a regular basis. Happiness cannot be postponed. And when you do something every day, I think, I think Scott called it an accomplishment. When you do something every day, like make a bed and it makes you happy, that something doing something like that every day that makes you happy keeps you going. It motivates you to stay in the game and be resilient. A lot of people are languishing right now after all this pandemic. It's like we haven't had enough restorative happiness to keep us going. Okay, So you want to identify what's making me happy and then do it. So gratefulness, happiness. And then the flip side of fear is safe. As people, we want to feel safe. What makes you feel safe? Is it family? Is it the job? Is it just being with other people? Sometimes being safe means sleeping a lot. Sometimes being safe means believing in a higher power. Sometimes being safe is being out in nature. There does seem to be a lot of research right now that really supports we feel safe when we're out in nature. We feel safe when we have a sense of ourselves in perspective with the, the bigger universe. So you want to think, how am I feeling safe? So let's bring that back to the garbage, OK? I feel safe when you take out the garbage. I don't feel safe when you don't take out the garbage. Why do I need that to feel safe? And then that's a dialogue with that person, OK? We were having such a fabulous time with Renee that we thought that we would go ahead and extend this. So we're going to end it here and we will continue this with a part two coming up next time. But for now, thank you for joining us. We hope that you enjoyed this as much as we did and look forward to the second part of this conversation because we're going to tell you everything you needed to know about how to start implementing this. Absolutely. So remember to like, share, subscribe, um, do what you need to do. But until next time, everybody. Bye.